Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. That is especially the case today, so hang on with us. You're going to hear some things you are not hearing anywhere else. I'm Charlie Wright. We'd like to welcome our guest, Nathaniel Polachek, partner and portfolio manager of Commodity Asset Management. He speaks to us from the headquarters in New York City. Nate, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Charlie, thank you very much for having me. So, Nate, Commodity Asset Management is a hedge fund and a commodity trading advisor, a CTA, trading in the world of commodities in both the futures marketplace and the equities marketplace. Your focus is commodities that are typically not followed or covered by most firms. We're talking silicon, tin, zinc, nickel, frac sand, etc. Things that everybody talks about over the dinner table, right? So I, I, guess, I guess that's what you get when your father's a professor of economics and both of your parents are PhDs. So, that's exactly right, Charlie. Uh, let's begin, Nate, with uh, a brief background of yours and of commodity asset management. Sure. So um, just in terms of myself, just an interesting story how I got involved in the stock market as a whole. My grandfather, he was, uh, he was also a PhD. Um, he worked for the Navy, and he was involved in, um, amongst other projects, the Manhattan Project, literally building the nuclear bomb. And um, when he retired from the Navy, uh, he became a stockbroker. When I was eight years old, uh, my grandfather took me to his office, and um, he showed me uh, a thin booklet, which you may remember, called the, the S&P, or the Standard & Poor's Stock Booklet. And um, he told me to go through the booklet and just look at the different stocks and then come up with one that I liked best. And um, the stock that I picked at that time was, uh, was Exxon. And what he did is he called a client who happened to be an elderly cousin of mine. He put me on the phone, and I explained to her, you know, about price and earnings and about dividends and about why I liked ExxonMobil. My grandfather took the phone, and um, she ended up buying 60 shares of, uh, of Exxon. And um, I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but uh, over the next 15 years since I recommended that stock to her, uh, Exxon returned an average of 18% and uh, didn't have a single down year. You know, I hope you're taking credit for that here, Nate. Uh, that, that, that was great. And who knows where your your uh, career may have gone if she had turned him down and said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> That's funny. So uh, getting back to commodity asset management, you know, like you said, we focus on commodities that are just not well covered. And, um, you know, throughout my career, I've seen a lot of, been involved in a lot of different businesses. You know, I started out um, at, at Goldman Sachs in an arbitrage business. We were one of the first groups to figure out how to price um, an exchange-traded fund. And essentially what we did is we, we conducted an arbitrage between the components of the ETF, which are the stocks represented by it, um, and the ETF itself, both making electronic markets as well as markets for customers. And in that trade, there was really a defined edge, is that we know that the components are worth X, and we're selling the ETF for you know, X plus a spread or buying it for less than that. And it's really the same thing in terms of commodities that are just not well covered, is that there aren't a whole lot of Wall Street analysts that can um, really put a price in the valuation of, uh, you know, of silicone or in frac sand. 
but again, what we do is we do a really detailed research project and, and process. We look at, talk to miners, we talk to scrappers, warehouses, etc., and we come up with valuations where there's a defined edge. And then the final thing about us is that we're, we have a very, very low correlation to, um, to traditional indexes as well. Okay, we're going to be getting into that. Let us begin with the question here, Nate. What misconceptions do you find that so many investors, both institutional and private, um, have uh, about the commodities marketplace and investing there? I think the major misconception that I hear is there are just a lot of blanket statements that are met, that are that are said about commodities. So, like the most common thing that I hear is commodities are just too volatile, or I don't want to invest in commodities, or I've been burned by commodities. And I think when one looks at the numbers, you know, right now commodities are about two times as volatile as stocks. You know, on a, on a given day, you know, the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index, which is which is basically the benchmark, will will go up sixty eight percent of the time, up one percent, or uh, within the range of up 1% or down 1%, and stocks are about half that. So I think when one looks at the numbers, one will find a place for commodities in their portfolio, and I think it's just a great uncorrelated uh, diversifier. Well, no question about it, especially with the uh, things that you guys are involved in. So what kind of, let's begin with what kind of analysis do you do? Do you do technical analysis? Is it strictly uh, uh, fundamental analysis? You mentioned that you talk to people and the like. Uh, that's not technical analysis. What do you look at? Yeah, so about 90% of our research project, our research process is really fundamental. I mean, we talk to people both on the supply side of the, of, of the commodities, um, you know, as well as on the demand side. And I think some of our most insightful research really comes from, um, from intermediaries. So those are people in, in the commodity markets that are, in essence, buying commodities from a mill that's producing the commodities and then selling them to, let's say, end users, be it people for, you know, within the steel business, within, you know, chain link fence buyers, et cetera. And, and talking to those people have a really good handle on, uh, on both sides of the business, both the supply and the demand, really, really give us good insight um, into forming our, our valuation model for, um, for what we think the commodity is worth. So it, it, it seems to me that the things that you're involved in, there's got to be very little investment activity, uh, futures market uh, and, and the like, in those things. Isn't that the case? So I'd say it's really surprising. Is um, What we try to do is we try to trade futures if we can, um, just because it's really a clean play on the commodity. If there are no futures contracts available, for example, in Fraxian, what we'll do is we'll look for stocks where greater than 90% of their earnings come from that commodity. So in essence, if we have a view on the commodity, we're going to get most of the way there because that stock is likely going to track where that underlying commodity is going. But we have a lot of very strict rules in terms of our portfolio construction, in terms of sizing positions. You know, we don't want to be greater than a certain percentage of the open interest in futures contracts um, or greater than a certain percentage of the overall float for equities. So surprisingly, some of these lesser, lesser, lesser covered commodities really are liquid and really do trade quite a bit. You know, it's interesting... Uh most of the commodities people, managed futures people typically for us, that I have interviewed or read about or talked to, they are technical analysis people, okay? They are trend-following, relative strength, momentum, etc. And And I, I, when I ask them about fundamental analysis, they typically say fundamental analysis is very difficult to time. Yes, this may be undervalued or it may be overpriced, but we don't know that when that's going to correct. And it may happen two weeks from now, but more than likely, it's going to happen sometime in the next year or two. But to 
focus on that in the futures market with such a nebulous end time to that opportunity is very challenging. How do you guys handle that? I think one of the ways we handle it is we, we, we do trade a lot of options. Um, so we'll trade options on futures or options on equities. So basically what that does is it helps us, you know, if we have a general idea about an event that's, let's say, happening, um, you know, I'll give you an example right now. There's something called Section 232, which you may have heard, heard discussed. And basically what it is is President Trump is, um, is investigating the risks from a national security perspective of importing steel from countries that are outside of the United States. So there's a lot of question as to the timing of that. And, and through our network, we can come up with a viewpoint that we don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but we think it's going to happen, let's say, over the next three months or so. Um, or the market may think it's happening immediately, and we disagree with that. So what we can do is we can use options to really tailor our bets and risk a very defined amount of capital um, with an asymmetric payout. So let's say risking one to make three or one to make five on that. Okay, and speaking of time frames, what, what kind of time frames do you like? Is it a matter of days, weeks, months, years? So by and large, our positions are, uh, are a three- to six-month time frame. Um, again, we have about, about 10 to 14 core positions within our portfolio, but in terms of the number of line items, we may have more than 30 line items in our portfolio because we do put on a lot of, um, of shorter-term bets, you know, weeks to a month, center around those larger themes and again we the other the other thing to highlight is we also don't only bet that commodities um, are going to go up we also play the short side as well that was my next question uh, if you go to cash and if you sell short so you do yeah. do, you, do you do it often or is it uh, you know kind of something that you keep in your back pocket in the event of a major catastrophe here um, yeah, we absolutely do um, do have short positions in our book and we do it very frequently Again, what we'll do is we will have a tilt overall, you know, whether we favor the long side or the short side. But again, every commodity is different, and I find it's very difficult to make, um, you know, to, to take a blanket view and say, all right, I want to be long commodities or short commodities, because, you know, you look at the very different supply and de- demand dynamics in each commodity. Um, so what we want to do is we want to make sure we have, um, you know, we have value and we have um, alpha on both sides of the coin. Okay, and uh, congratulations uh, for at least trying to do that. Uh, We we all know that that's very, very challenging. Uh, We need to take a short break here. This is very interesting stuff. And um, we're talking again with Nate Polachek, partner and portfolio manager of Commodity Asset Management out of New York City. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. All right, back to Charlie and his guest. 
Thank you, Paul. Again, we're talking with Nate Polachek, partner and portfolio manager of Commodity Asset Management out of New York. They are a hedge fund and commodity trading advisor, trading primarily in the futures markets, but also in equities markets with these very unique commodities of silicon, tin, zinc, nickel, frac sand, etc. And uh, so tell us, uh, here, NATO. Who are your clients? Uh, are they individuals? Are they institutions? Are they retail investors? RIAs? Who are they? So, first of all, we're we're set up as a hedge fund. So, all of our clients definitionally have to be accredited investors. Um, amongst our clients right now, we have institutions on the nature of fund of funds, and we also have a lot of uh, high net worth individuals who. Um, I wouldn't even say friends and family, but literally people that we've we've met, be it at conferences or be it through introductions, and um, we've explained what we do and we've explained our our clearly defined edge. And um, people have just said we we really like what you're doing and we want to be involved. So I presume that they are very interested in you because of the I'm sure non correlation with any other markets, right? Absolutely, I think that's definitely a, a major factor. Um, you know, we don't we don't recommend to people to put all of their portfolio in commodities, but um, we do recommend an allocation of uh, between ten and fifteen percent for sure. Okay, and and we can see that. So tell us, uh, do you have an example or two, or an anecdote or two of something that demonstrates what you guys are able to do and how it has worked uh, in the recent past? Yeah, I mean one one position that we have on right now is uh, a position in frac sand, and um. The way that position came about was really through a non-traditional means. Is that someone that uh, someone that managed a rail yard um, called us up, and there's a very particular type of rail car that's used to ship frac sand. You can you know look it up online. It has curved sides, etc. So about a year ago, those rail cars were barely being used, and we we actually received some offers to buy those rail cars, literally just to scrap them and sell them for scrap. And that same person called us up about five months ago and told us that he was seeing a tremendous increase in the demand for those rail cars, and in fact, he was seeing an oversubscription to, uh, you know, to ship this frac sand. And um, that led us to, to do some more channel checks and talk to some more people in the industry, and um, led us to find some some companies that were a large percentage of their business was focused on frac sand, and really sort of really sort of got us looking at it um, from a different view. And our view of the way the, the market trades it is it often trades it um, looking at crude oil. So if crude oil goes down, frac sand will go down just because it's an integral part, integral part of extracting crude. But what we're seeing on the supply and demand side is that these companies that focus on frac sand, they're doing everything they can possibly do. They're shipping the material. There's customers that are buying it. So we don't think that the market has 100 percent uh, has it 100 percent right to, to really trade it in line with crude, and we think that there's some. Obviously, it's correlated, but we think that there's some some independent value, and we think that these companies um, are going to be positive on the uh, on the earnings front from what we see. You know, Nate, uh, managed futures uh, are something that, that I've paid attention to for many years, and five out of the last six years have been horrible. Uh, or at best flat in managed futures. And typically, the better managed futures programs have been completely flat for the past five years. Uh, you, you bought five years ago, and that's pretty much where the price is today. 
Uh, has that been the case for the things you're dealing in, or are they more volatile? Have they had more trending, or have they been range-bound like other commodities have been? Where have they been while these other commodities have really gone nowhere? So, I mean, the commodities that we trade do have volatility associated with them. They're not that far off in terms of volatility of other commodities. We're very, very selective about timing of investment, so we may put on a position we may take it off soon. So it's a little bit difficult for us to evaluate and say, all right, like our, our portfolio right now, you know, we can backtest our portfolio right now, and, you know, and over, the last, you know, over the last five years it would have performed well. But, again, we're nimble, and we're in the markets, we're out of the markets, um, really depending on, on the situations of it. And I think in terms of managed futures, like I've thought about that as well, I think there are just a lot of people out in the market that are, especially on the technical side, that are following those same moving averages. You know, when the 100-day moving average crosses through the 50, when the 50-day crosses through the 100-day, et cetera. And there's just so many people um, that were educated in the same schools of thought um, and by the same mentors within that business. I think there really is an overcrowding in that space. Well, uh, you know, the, the, those commodities have not had significant trending, and I certainly uh, have no idea if what you say is accurate, that all of these trend-following folks have contributed to the lack of uh, trends occurring, but that is what has happened over the past uh, f- uh, six years, and it would be interesting to see how that changes, and the people that I have talked to who do the trend following, they, you know, do not accept that they uh, have that much influence over the market, but it's very, very possible. So uh, in terms of commodity trading, what attracts you to that marketplace and keeps you there personally here, Nate? I really like the volatility. I mean, I've heard, heard a lot of times that um, from many, many people that, that equity volatilities right now are are you know at all time lows are very low right now. Commodities are about twice the volatility of equities. So if you're right, you can be really right. Um, the other thing about commodities is that I really enjoy trading trading the options behind commodities because a lot of people are just afraid of it um, given the volatility. But what I've found is that you can take something that people are very fearful of um, and you can use options to your benefit and to your investors' benefit to really really concretize your bet. And, and, and really play out the defined edge that you believe exists. Yeah. Now, is there sufficient liquidity in the options market of nickel and, and frac sand and zinc and the like that you guys trade in? Um, so in all those contracts or all those commodities that you mentioned, there are sufficient liquidity to, um, you know, to trade. But, again, when you get to you – know, and the reason behind it is because there are companies that are, you know, $1 billion companies out there that do have options – um, on the company itself, so in essence, it tracks the commodity. Um, but we do have very specific rules about you know how big we can get again as a percentage of uh, of open interest. So there are commodities that we'd like to trade, you know, rhodium or other, you know, even more esoteric commodities, but they just don't meet our liquidity guidelines. Okay. So a question we'd like to ask all of our guests here, Nate: What keeps you awake at night? When I end up finding you know, that I do at night is, is really trying to think about what I'm missing and trying to think about all the angles. I'll literally lie there in bed and I'll think about think about positions that we have on and trades that we have on and just think about, you know, think about what angles I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking about or when I put on a trade, what the other side of the trade is, is, is really think, thinking about. And the other thing I, that keeps me up a lot at night is I just feel like I hear the phrase all-time more frequently. So volatility is an, is an, an all-time lower 
U.S. equities is at an all-time high. And I think what really scares me, in a sense, is that the only constant in finance is really change, and that markets are changing, industries are changing, businesses are changing, and the trick is really trying to figure out how to be on the leading edge of that. Yeah, no question about it. When you got that figured out, let us know, will you? Because uh, <laughs> we'd love to have you back when that happens. And the second yeah. question we'd like to ask all of our guests is, what book on investing would you recommend to our listeners? So the book I'd recommend is, uh, I warn you, Charlie, it's, it's not a cheap read at all. Um, it's a book called Margin of Safety. Um, it's written by Seth Quarman, who is the founder of, of Bowpost, which is a, um, a fund out of Boston. The book is out of print. I looked it up on Amazon, and it sells for about $800, so definitely not a cheap read at all, but worth every penny. Um, for me, it's like the Bible in terms of value investing. Um, it's taught me discipline. It's taught me patience. It's taught me, taught me risk management. And most importantly, like the title, Margin of Safety, it taught me that when you put on an investment, what you really have to do is you really have to calculate how much you're going to lose or how much you potentially could lose on the downside and how much you want to make on the upside and consider that calculus of risk versus reward in every investment you make. You know, Seth Klarman, that, that is a familiar name. And uh, so he is uh, somewhat well-known in the world of investing, but I was unfamiliar with his book. And I can tell you I'm not going to rush out and buy it, but I may try <laughs> to, to, to look it up uh, at some library somewhere. Yeah, definitely. So l- let's ask kind of a personal question here. Nate, you have been at Goldman Sachs. You have been at AQR. To certainly two storied names on Wall Street. AQR being, uh, I think, the second largest uh, hedge fund in the country, managing close to 150 billion dollars. Why are you doing what you're doing there at Commodity Asset Management? So, number one, it's always been a dream of mine to start a hedge fund. It's something that I've, I've thought about for a long time. Number two is just in terms of the changes in the market. Um, there's always going to be a place for larger asset managers. They're very important. They do an excellent job. But where my passion really lies is in more niche-oriented products and products where I think that there's a real edge and where, the, in essence, the circus is in town. So if the circus is in town, it's time to play with the circus. Um, that's exactly what I think we do here at Commodity Asset Management. Is, is just, it's a product with a, a clearly defined edge. It's a product and investment philosophy that, that, in my opinion, really, really works. Um, and I'm also very entrepreneurial in nature, and I love running my own business and, and using the lessons that I learned at some of the larger firms I worked at, um, you know, including Bridgewater Associates, when I run my own company. Okay. Well, we appreciate that, that response here, and uh, probably most of us listening can uh, relate to all of that here. So we'll provide, for those who would like to, to know more, provide us uh, your website and contact information. Sure. So our website is www commodity lp uh and co uh, commodity lp.com that's c-o-m-m-o-d-i-t-y lp um and my personal contact is nathaniel n-a-t-h-a-n-i-e-l at commodity lp.com and um always happy to talk to prospective investors or anyone that has feedback um you can also reach me at 212 338-0044. Nate, thank you very much. Final words for our listeners here, sir. Yeah, I think the most important thing um, or takeaway that I have is that there's a place for commodities in every portfolio. Former coworker of mine from AQR, a gentleman named Ari Levine, wrote a white paper, and he looked at the performance of stocks, bonds, and commodities over the last 140 years. 
And what he found is that portfolios with a commodity allocation of around 10% have a higher risk-reward ratio or sharp ratio than portfolios made up purely of stocks, purely of bonds, or 60% stock, 40% portfolios. And the other really important thing, which I think is applicable to now, is that during periods of increased inflation expectations and periods where we think the economy is going to expand, commodities have outperformed all their asset, all their major asset classes. So I leave it to, to, to your listeners to, to really think about that, commodities as a diversifier, and to really consider and look at their portfolios and make sure they have between 10 and 15% invested in commodities. Great point, Nate. Thank you very much. That was very well said. We really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you. You're welcome. Again, we've been talking with Nate Polachek, partner and portfolio manager of Commodity Asset Management out of New York City. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host Charlie Wright or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing. 